Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. The philosophy behind the podcast is that in business, it's all about making an impact every day. And a great example of where we're seeing impact right before our eyes is in the large and mature automotive industry. I was looking at some data recently, and I've seen projections that by 2030, the value of the automotive industry worldwide could be as large as $9 trillion. So we're talking about massive scale and fueling that growth right before our eyes is this technology disruption and innovation that's that's going on. And we're going to talk today about what some of the dynamics are behind that. Why is now the time that we're seeing this great amount of disruption and innovation? And we're going to talk with Troy Trenchard, who I've known for many years. Troy is Chief Product Officer at Sonatus, which is unlocking the full potential of software-defined vehicles through a number of solutions. That includes in-vehicle infrastructure, data management, and automation. They're working with really big brand names in the automotive industry, including Hyundai, on this. And Troy comes to the automotive industry with extensive experience in developing, managing, marketing, and selling a very broad range of innovative customer-centric solutions and services. He's worked in the enterprise space, the SMB space, the consumer space, and service providers. So Troy has this really broad background in technology and product development. He started his career designing integrated circuits at Hewlett-Packard. And then he transitioned into product management roles at, well, you've probably heard of this company, Apple. And then he grew and managed billion-dollar product lines at Cisco. He then moved on into senior executive roles at Citrix and Avaya, and then more recently has been in more entrepreneurial ventures. And at Sonatus, he's responsible for driving the company's strategy and management of software products with the shared vision of simplifying and accelerating the transformation of the automobile. So we haven't really had an auto enthusiast on the podcast before, but combining that with his uh, product strategy and product development background, I am so excited to have Troy join. Welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you, Dan. And it's uh, thank you for the wonderful introduction. And, and it's great to be talking with you again. So you've had this really long, diverse career. I'd like to go back to the very beginning you worked for these iconic global brands that I mentioned earlier, but what really fueled your early interest in technology? You know, um, uh, part of it was growing up, my father was, uh, he was in the military and he was an electronics technician and kind of worked his way up and uh, uh, building complex systems. And, you know, uh, and he always had home projects of some sort and some of them were, more humble, like getting a light switch to work. And some of them became a lot more interesting. Um, and that kind of drove me to, to go study electrical engineering. 
Um, interestingly, what I found, uh, and you alluded to it earlier, is you know after a couple of years of uh, you know designing circuits in an engineering team, I found that I, I really wanted to understand how customers use them, what what challenges and problems and objectives uh, did they have. So uh, I kind of started dipping my toe into more customer uh, engagements and uh, got really, really interested and excited about that and went, went got an MBA and have spent my career, you know, engaging with customers and understanding their challenges and desires and figuring out how to, you know, how to use technology to help them do that. Right. And in most more recent years, you've taken a more entrepreneurial direction. So you work for these large established companies kind of working your way up, you started getting the client-facing experience. Uh, but more recently, you've been working in these younger growth stage businesses. What was that transition like, moving from you know, very established, uh, structured environments to uh, more of these just young, fast-growing companies? Uh, was there any unexpected challenges along the way in making that transition? Uh, well, absolutely. And, and you know, to your point, uh, working in large, successful companies uh, is a great thing, right? You get to you get to do, um, you know, a variety of, of things. You um, uh, you get to, to help the company scale uh, and grow, and and you know, help teams evolve and individuals uh, grow in their careers. There's a lot of great things about it, but. What comes with that is a heck of a lot of coordination and the larger and more successful the organization, the more time you spend in any any range of you know operations and strategic and marketing and all these reviews and coordination. And, and what I found personally is that it, it got me further and further from that customer and, and how to understand mm -hmm. and build a solution for the customer. Right. It became leading very large teams, but 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 further from the act, you know, solving, technically solving the challenge. So um, that drove me to say, hey, I'd really like to go to a, you know, uh, to help create a company in a very early stage and, you know, shape that trajectory and where you go. Um, uh, you said, are there any challenges? There's a lot of them. Probably the biggest challenge uh, in the very, you know, in startups is, you know, you may come in with all this experience and all these thoughts about what needs to be done, but at the end of the day, you're doing it, right? You don't you don't get to um, go to your very large team and say, "Hey guys, we we need to go solve this problem. Come back to me with proposals," right? That's you. You you're the one who, who you know who figures it out, and you're the one who does it, and you're the one who you know sweeps the floors and turns off the lights at night. Yeah, yeah, there, it's really the proverbial roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty, right? Uh, yes, all day long, and and you know, in some ways, that's really that's uh, it's fun. You get to either do things you haven't done before, or do things you did a very long time ago, um, earlier in your career. But but things have changed, and and for me, I love to learn. I love to try new things, uh, learn new things. Uh, do new things. And, you know, I've, I've found that many of the things I did, you know, a couple decades ago to my career have evolved in really interesting and, and, and um, powerful ways. Um, but it meant that, you know, I, I had to learn them and then do them. Right, right. Well, speaking of learning new things, obviously the past 18 months, we've all been in this unprecedented, challenging pandemic time. And 
it's been a learning journey for businesses, for leaders. And I'm curious for you, Troy, what have been some of the key leadership lessons that you've taken out of this experience? Uh, one, well, a couple of them. Uh, one, you have to be very flexible, right? Uh, what we've seen in the last you know, year and a half, uh, and we're not through it, uh, is you know, uh, the whole world trying to you know, adapt to something that most of us haven't seen in our lifetimes, right? Uh, personally, um, and the tragedy uh, associated with, with personal loss, uh, and trying to, you know, carry on with the other aspects of our lives and businesses. So uh, adaptability, um, I think understanding and empathy, right? Uh, you, you, more so than ever, people are going through and have been through challenges that, that may not show or you may not have any insight into when, when you interact with them. Um, and, and it's, I, you know, more, more than ever, I think, you know, being sensitive to, you know, the other challenges and the other things that people are dealing with and balancing is really important. Um, probably the third biggest thing for me is, is just collaboration, right? I mean, I've always believed in team collaboration and, and, and the importance of it, the primacy of it, but, you know, uh, you have to be great at it when everybody yeah. on your team is working from their living room, right? Um, so it, it's, I, I think it's really um, kind of challenged us to, to, to be much more thoughtful and much more proactive and uh, communicative um, to make sure we're aligned and that we can, we can do the things we need to do to, um, to be successful personally and professionally. Yeah, you mentioned empathy. I think one of the more interesting aspects of this this whole challenging pandemic is because all of us are going through it, right? It's not isolated. We we all it's it's just so ubiquitous um, in terms of uh, what everyone is having to deal with in their personal lives, in their business lives, and it can be very healing to be able to come together and at least openly talk about it, right, with others that are that can really relate because they're sharing in, in what you're going through, right? Have you, have you found that kind of the common, the, the common baseline of the conversation? Um, uh, yes. Uh, but you know, the, I think the, you know, the, the compliment to that is being, you know, not just empathetic of that they might be going through things, but also understanding that it's still raw. So, yeah. You know, how do you have that conversation? How are you supportive without, you know, without uh, seeming to be intrusive or, you know, um, or inadvertently, um, you know, kind of touching some emotional buttons? So I think that, you know, a key part of, of this empathy and this, this interaction and support is, you know, listening and, uh, um, as much or, you know, more than, than opining. Right, right. Listen and seek to understand most definitely relates here. And you and your team, it's not a sort focused on delivering innovation to this mature established automotive industry. Troy, what are some of the major dynamics or trends that have been going on within that space that have made it so ripe and so ready for this next evolution? Uh, of innovation and and does that create any sort of challenges? Is there 
an innovator's dilemma that comes into play uh, in and around all this? Uh, absolutely. That, that's uh, a great question or a great uh, couple of questions, Dan. Um, you know, we've, we've seen over the last, I don't know, 20 or so years, we've seen, you know, many industries undergo uh, transformation, digital transformation, um, you know, learning how to digitize all aspects of their business to be able to get data and uh, analyze that data in order to, you know, make better business decisions, optimize operations, better understand their customers. Uh, and, and now it's the automotive industry's time. Um, I, I think that uh, automotive was, you know, took longer to get to this point uh, for a number of reasons. Probably one of the key reasons is that uh, safety and associated liability is such a key part mm -hmm. of, of the, the product, right? I mean, if you really think about it, a, a, a vehicle, passenger or commercial vehicle is an amazingly complex um, and capable machine, right? It's, it's able to travel you know, well above 100 miles an hour uh, and with tens of thousands of components travel, you know, working in, in uh, kind of working together to make this thing handle and perform at extremely high speeds and keep you safe. Um, and increasingly moving towards trying, you know, assisting you with advanced features to ultimately driving you under those same conditions. So the, 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 the vehicles, the um, components in them, uh, the ecosystem around it, the manufacturing, right, has, has evolved over, you know, 100 plus years to develop these very, you know, complex and safe um, products. Uh, and that makes it pretty hard to, to change quickly. Right? I mean, in some ways, as many industries, disruptors, new players who don't carry, if you will, the, the legacy and the, you know, in some cases, baggage uh, of having been established in markets um, and having lots of customers and supply chains and manufacturing and culture and process and stuff, the new guys um, are able to do things that existing players really struggle to be able to change and do quickly. Now, a lot of those new guys uh, don't succeed. <laughs> um, uh, some of them cut corners and, you know, there's a set of customers who are willing to say, I'm willing to get these new things yeah. uh, from this new player that, you know, I'm not getting from, you know, the legacy players and I'm willing to make some trade-offs. I'm willing to deal with, you know, some quality issues or some body gaps or spray paint issues. I mean, the people are willing to make trade-offs um, for some of the new capabilities that they're not seeing as some of the traditional players. Um, but over time, the expectations continue to rise on those new players. And over time, you know, some of the existing players understand both the need to, to to change, to be able to compete in the new environment, uh, and they learn how to do it. Um, and uh, that's that's what really attracted me to this space is, you know, one, I'm a car uh, enthusiast that, you know, I, with my brother worked on, you know, 
rebuilding muscle cars since I was eight or nine years old. So uh, I really love cars, but but I've also seen, we've all seen the increasing electronics in cars over the years. Mm-hmm. And now what we're seeing is uh, kind of the complexity that came from that. You know, if as electronics came into cars, they usually came in for a specific function, right? You, you know, anti-lock brakes had its own control unit and your heated seats had their own control unit and your air conditioner has a control unit and your moonroof has a control unit. And so modern cars have north of a hundred electronic control units um, and they're largely specific for a function and they interact in different ways, but in fairly, you know, constrained uh, interactions. Um, And it's created a level of complexity that makes it really hard to do some of the things that customers want now, advanced driving capabilities lead into AV, um, uh, immersive entertainment, hopefully not for the driver, but if the car's driving itself, maybe for the driver too. (laughs) Um, yeah. integration with their digital lifestyle, right? I want my social media and my streaming and my email and whatever easily accessible and usable in a safe way in the car. So, um, so user expectations have changed dramatically. But, you know, a car that's been built a certain way, um, you know, evolving that architecture takes time. Um you know, we like to say, um, sometimes you hear people talk about, you know, the modern car being a smartphone on wheels. Um, and to some extent, that's true, right? The, the, the part of that analogy that, that people often are referring to is the fact that increasingly you've got applications, user-facing applications, like in your, your uh, infotainment system. Mm-hmm. Um, but m- more importantly, software starts to play a bigger role and, you know, the, the ability to update that software after the, the car's been sold uh, to bring new capabilities, right? That That is extremely desirable for lots of reasons. Um, but we really think about the car as being more like a data center on wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and what we mean is that there are multiple very powerful computing domains doing different things like uh, your powertrain and your uh, infotainment and your... Um, what's called body control, right? Doors and locks and lights and etc. There's there's these different domains, and they increasingly have to interact. So they now have, and they're getting high speed networks, things that we know from IT like uh, Ethernet and IP. Um, uh, they're getting very sophisticated software that increasingly is is consuming you know, volumes of data from, from very advanced, rich sensors in the car, like video and radar and LIDAR and et cetera, and processing that in real time and using, you know, and, and, and deciding through that processing on how to control various aspects of the car. So it's, you know, the analogy of a smartphone is useful but in truth, it's much more complex than a soft phone. It's much more like what we've seen in the data center over, you know, evolve over the last 30 years. Um, and I think one of the key aspects of that is that for the for a very long time, most of the 120 years history of cars, automakers built a car, built a set of functionality 
tested it, you know, like heck. And then once they shipped it, they never wanted it to change because the thing that they shipped was known to be safe. Right. <laughs> and anything that could change in it could potentially undermine that safety. And now automakers have had to switch to, to think the thing we ship is going to continue to evolve over its life. It needs to get, it's going to have a lot more software that, you know, sometimes it's going to have bugs. We're going to have to fix those. Um, we're going to, the customer wants and will pay for certain new capabilities um, uh, and new applications. So, so things are going to continue to come into this vehicle after we sell it. And then increasingly the, the, the business will depend on and the value will come for things that happen, you know, that enhance the vehicle after we, after it's sold. Um, so, so fundamentally, it means that they have to have the shift that says, I'm going from building something that at the point I, I, I sell it, it never changes to I'm selling something, a platform that is expected to change. And in fact, not only does the customer expect it, but my business success depends on my ability to have the thing, to have that product continue to, to, um, become more capable and, and more, uh, valued by the customer over its life. So it's a fundamental shift in, in, in thinking in business models. Uh, and it goes, you know, that ripples all the way through the business back, back to the supply chains. Um, and it opens the opportunity for, you know, new, you know, new players throughout the supply chain, like startups, like Sonatas to come in and say, Hey, we know how to do that piece. We know we've done this before in other places. We know how to leverage those learnings and those technologies and innovate in your space to help you build that new type of, of product, that new, you know, ever evolving, you know, ever dynamic, digitally dynamic, uh, vehicle that, you know, uh, that your customers expect. Yeah, definitely. We want to talk a little bit more about this whole digitally dynamic and you bring up some really good points. And even from a consumer point of view, it seems like, uh, in terms of buying cars, there traditionally was a very predictable calendar and cycle where you, you know, the auto manufacturers would release the, you know, the new vehicles for sale, typically maybe in the, like the summer for the following following year. And so you would just, it would be very predictable in terms of if I wanted a newly designed, you know, car or the next model year, I, I knew when it would probably be available for me to buy. But now with a lot of these features and capabilities, as you point out, I mean, those software updates, they could be potentially, they could be shipped at any time, right? It's not confined to a, a certain part of the calendar year. So it's just, it's so much more, so much more dynamic. And, and so we definitely want to get into that. But one thing that I'd love to explore a little bit, just more around your current company, because in this time of great change and innovation, nimbleness and collaboration, you mentioned that earlier, seem to be a big part of the culture. Are there some examples you can talk about in terms of how that plays out, just the cultural aspects? Um, yeah, uh, good question. Um, you know, we we recently announced that we're partnering with Hyundai uh, to to help them transform their their vehicles and and frankly, connectivity and, and collaboration back into the cloud. Um, 
across their whole portfolio, um, uh, Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis. Um, so first cars on the road, uh, but more coming soon. Um, you know, Hyundai has done amazing things. Hyundai Motor Group has done, you know, if you look at where they were 40 years ago. Oh, yeah. Right. To where they are now. I mean, they build, you know, some of the best, most highly rated cars in the world, um, especially the Genesis line. Um, so they've got to do that. You know, they, they had to, to learn how to, to, you know, be nimble and, and, and build a lot of skill sets and, and, and expertise, et cetera. Um, but, but as often happens, that that's get, gets deeply embedded, not just in the culture, but in the processes and how you do things. Um, and we got the opportunity to work with them. But, but as you can imagine, being a startup and being software focused and highly agile, we work very differently. <laughs> um, and one of the key parts to being successful uh, in the role that we, we play, you know, not just a supplier, but actually kind of a change agent is learning how to work with them, but also how to help move them along and their, and their, you know, their, their evolution of how they do things. Right. Because, you know, in the early meetings, we undoubtedly look like aliens, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because, we talked about agile processes and we talked about, you know, uh, sprints and, and, you know, and being able to, you know, on one, on one side, not defining everything down to the nth detail before we commit a program and, and code anything. But on the other hand, being able to take a, a, a learning or a challenge or a defect or a, you know, or a evolving requirement and implement it in two weeks or four weeks or six weeks, right? Um, that isn't, that, that is not normal in the automotive industry that they're not, you know, part of it is, is the way that cars are built. Part of it is the safety requirement. So the, the concept of you can decide to do something and deliver it as a functional tested capability for a week in four weeks is, is, you know, uh, you know, is, is both revelatory, but also, you know, suspicious, right? right? How can that thing work? How can that, how can, you know, how can that be the right thing? We, you know, we've got some of the smartest people on the planet and, and you know, we don't do it that way. So it's been a, a great opportunity, you know, that this falls into collaboration, but it's been a great opportunity um, uh, to work with people who are experts in their field and bring to them new ways of thinking about and doing things that we can now, you know, a couple of years into working with them, we can see how they've evolved as well, how they've not just to accommodate what we do, but in the other things that they do themselves, we can see an evolution in, in process and, you know, um, interactions, uh, that, that we can see them evolving as well as, uh, so it's, it's, it's really pretty neat. That's right. And it's just, it, it's literally happening real time. And, uh, and it's just, I'm sure it's just one step follows the other and it's just, it's, it's going to take a little bit of time, right. To, to get that, uh, to get it into kind of muscle memory that this, there's kind of a new way, a new way, but it's fascinating that, that the progress is already happening. And, 
you're focused on unlocking the full potential of these software-defined vehicles. And part of that, you mentioned the term earlier, or the concept, digitally dynamic. Could you share a bit more behind that? Uh, Sure. Um, So roughly for the first hundred or so years of the automobile industry, it has been about, you know, kind of building the physical aspects of the car. Um, And, you know, a a lot among a lot of automakers, you know, what they strived for was, was to deliver this, you know, for the vehicle, for the type of vehicle, et cetera, to deliver a great driving experience, right? It might be speed, it might be handling and braking, might be comfort, but it was all these things that were about, you know, the dynamics of driving the vehicle. Um, And the industry as a whole has come a long way, um, all of the players. So, you know, increasingly, I mean, that's still important, right? Driving and and that experience and, and, right, a lot of people really care about that. (laughs) It's really still important. But increasingly, the things that customers make decisions on between vehicles, their purchase decisions, are comfort and convenience and safety and driving assistance. And it's, it's these other things that increasingly are not about the physical aspects of a car. They're about the electronics and digital aspects of the vehicle and how it, you know, uh, how that experience, how they experience that aspect of, of getting from point A to B. Um, so we, we, we talk about that as digital dynamics. Driving dynamics are still important but in this phase, it's, it's, it's a digital, it's an electronic, mm-hmm. you know, rapid innovation and, and uh, in, in, you know, key contributor to, to purchase decisions. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we talk about that as digitally dynamic. And, and what do we mean by that? We, you know, some people, you know, and you'll hear the term increasingly uh, software defined vehicle. Right, which sounds great. It's a you know in the enterprise world, software defined. Uh, you know, we've we've been talking about it and implementing software defined networks and software defined environments for you know a couple decades now, and it's you know it's been an evolution and and it's led to some truly amazing you know data center and cloud um, environments and capabilities. Uh, in the automotive space, we're starting to hear the term software defined, but you know. It's, it's kind of a new concept, right? 10 years ago, software was not, in automotive, software was not understood to be the source of, of you know, the increasingly the source of the value of a car. Um, so now you have um, CEOs or major organizations, major automakers talking about being software defined. And they'll say things like, well, we realize we have a hundred million lines of code inside our vehicles. So software is important. And, and the conclusion software is important is spot on. Um, but <laughs> having a hundred million lines of code isn't, we don't think a good thing because, because that hundred million lines of code is embedded in a hundred ECUs, electronic control units, and there's a lot of redundancy. And a mm-hmm. lot of that code is design, is optimized for that very constrained hardware environment. Uh, and uh, that means that it's, uh, it's fairly inflexible and it's not reusable, 
when they decide to, to go to a updated or they, they need a new, an updated version of that ECU, it's almost like they have to start over because the code they wrote in the previous version was very specific to, you know, a cost driven, you know, microcontroller and limited amount of memory and limited connectivity and, and, and so forth. So, um, so when we think software defined, we think more like the enterprise space where we say, Hey, you're writing, you write your software in a way that it can be easily portable and reusable on different environments. It's written in a modular service oriented fashion so that you don't have redundancies. You don't, you're not implementing the same core OS or the same ethernet interface, you know, mm -hmm. LAN interface a hundred times in different places. You, you implement it once and you share it. Um, but as importantly, um, you know, you, you, it, one of the big uh, topics you hear today is the importance of what's called OTA or over the air updates. Mm -hmm. um, and what that basically means, uh, well, if you go back 10, 15 years ago, you didn't have OTA. You didn't have, you didn't have a lot of cellular connectivity to cars um, in yeah. which you could bring software over the, uh, uh, into the vehicle. You didn't have uh, components in the vehicle that could be easily software updated like that. And if something had to change, if, if firmware in one of those ECUs had to be updated, you had to take the car to the shop and somebody had to connect a special machine to a special port. And then it would take an hour or two hours or overnight to update the firmware in that, that electronic control unit that was having a problem. So you can, as you can imagine, that was very expensive and not something that an OEM really wanted to do. An automaker really wanted to do because, because, you know, it was painful. It was a bad experience. It cost a lot of money. Um, OTA, uh, update updates. A lot of things had to happen to, to be able to do that. The ECUs had to evolve to be able to be remotely updated. You had to have, you know, cellular connectivity or wireless connectivity to the vehicle. Etc. Um, but now you, you're starting to see this ability for an automaker to update some software and push it out, deploy it to a fleet of vehicles, um, you know, while the vehicles parked overnight or, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. uh, or sitting on the street or what have you. Um, that's a that's a great start. It really is. And compared to where it was, it's a great start. But but there's there's further you can and should go. And those are the types of things we're helping automakers with. And that's, that's being able to update, you know, to write your software in a way that for a lot of things you want to do, you don't need to update the software to add capability. You just send it a policy and the software interprets the policy and behaves that way. Mm. Right. And that's a lot of what software defined networking. Okay. That's how that works. Um, the next step and a step we're very focused on is, is uh, in our roadmap is bringing automation into the car where now, in addition to just telling, you know, software component A, configure yourself this way and device B, configure yourself that way. We can actually coordinate how those things interact to build more, more complex features mm -hmm. and more personalization. Um, so, for example, you might say, hey, I, I want to, in the winter when I'm going to work, 
I would like my car as soon as I, you know, I'd like my car to pre-warm itself <laughs> and get the temperature at least to some level where I'm not going to, I'm not going to freeze when I, I get into the car, but I'd like my seat heaters to come on to the medium setting. I'd like the steering wheel heater to come on. I'd like uh, my defroster, my rear defroster mm -hmm. to be on. Um, I'd like uh, to, if it's close to top of the hour, I'd like to listen to my favorite news station for seven minutes until they get through the world and local news. And then I'd like to flip to the jazz station, right? So today you can do all those things one at a time, <laughs> but with this automation capability, you could create your own routine that says, this is my winter go to work routine. <laughs> um, the car can sense it's winter. It's, you know, it's between seven and 9.00 AM. Um, uh, you, you've, you've, you've said you're going to work or you've confirmed that, that you're going to work and the car can just run that routine for you. Um, so, you know, this, this creates the opportunity for what we call mass customization or personalization where mm -hmm. the underlying software doesn't have to be so sophisticated and interact with so many pieces. This, this separate automation control component can take routines and implement them to control all those other pieces. Wow. Uh, what you painted was just such a beautiful picture. And especially up here in the Pacific Northwest, we've got winter coming. Uh, I would love to have what you just described. Let's get everything predefined and ready to go. And so maybe that's a nice segue into this whole area of artificial intelligence. We've talked about it with some guests on this podcast. It seems like uh, AI is permeating all aspects of supply chain and the customer experience. Uh, what's your view, Troy, on artificial intelligence as it relates to the automotive space um, opportunities? Are there some challenges or some potential downsides that it's bringing? What's your view on that? Um, one, uh, AI or machine learning, um, I think it's going to be everywhere in our lives. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think of it as assistance um, that... Uh, assist ANCE, but maybe also assist ANTS. Um, and, you know, if you look at what's happening in the enterprise today, uh, space today with automation, um, what you find is, is rather than trying to create complete, extensive, automate everything programs, what you're, what you're really seeing is very focused automation that's taking pieces of workflows and that are highly repetitive and highly predictable and saying we if we automate that piece we can squeeze this much efficiency out of this part of the business um uh and and in many cases we're starting to see uh machine language applied to that um uh, and artificial intelligence the second thing is is in our lives we're seeing bits of of ai in, in different places. So when I go to Amazon, right, it's telling me not just the things that, that I have bought or, but it's telling me things that I might be interested in, right? Why? Because in the background, there is an, uh, a machine learning system that has learned across what I tend to buy or look at 
and and millions of other customers, these are the types of things that they tend to be interested in and often buy or compare um, based on you know these similarities that the system sees between me and them. Um, uh, voice assistants, right? Same, you know, another localized um, application of, of AI. Um, and what we're seeing in, in, in automotive is the same thing. We're starting to see kind of, you know, localized machine learning and AI for certain functions. Um, uh, uh, some of the things that we see in, in uh, smartphone, on our smartphone, right, uh, where, you know, Google Maps or Apple Maps will look at your calendar and, you know, or look at the destinations that you've used over a period of time and say, hey, often at this time of day when you get in your car, you're going there. Do you want to go there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it'll offer that up to you. And, and I think you're gonna, just going to see more and more of that. Um, clearly, when we look at something as uh, advanced as uh, autonomous vehicles, right? That is a highly complex um, uh, AI system. Um and that's that. Those highly complex systems will just take a lot longer uh, to mm-hmm. evolve. Uh, and most of what what drives that is they, you know, you just need so much data representing the vast variety of potential uh, situations in order for the machine learning algorithms to be able to handle that vast, uh, you know potential set of situations, but there are so many things in our lives and in vehicles where more localized machine learning, um, kind of mini machine learning, uh, can, can help, you know, simplify, automate, predict what you want to do, um, to, to just make your, your, your life that much, that much easier. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. That's a lot of benefits. And I know you're a forward looking Guy, so when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? Oh, lots of things. Um, I think probably, uh, uh, probably at the top would be one uh, the creativity of 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 people, right? Uh, and uh, you know, we and, and there's there's kind of this uh, this curiosity combined with uh commercial opportunity <laughs> that 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 just leads to you know uh, uh an amazing onslaught and even acceleration of advances um uh, the second is is probably more you know more uh evident over the last year and a half and i think it's just it's resiliency mm-hmm. you know yeah we've been through so much and and yet people are you know they figure out how to be optimistic they figure out how to how to make the path forward so um you know humans are are amazing <laughs> i guess that's that's the short <laughs> we, we are truly amazing absolutely not perfect but uh um almost anything that gets thrown at us we 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 figure out how to how to make the best of it and, and move forward to a better place. That is so true. And so as we start to wrap up our conversation, Troy, bringing all of the experience and the learning you've taken from your extensive and diverse career, 
Do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are seeking sustainable success for their teams and their companies? Uh, always be learning, always be listening, always be, as you said earlier, right? Seek to understand. I think that, uh, you know, certainly over my career and, um, and over yours, I'm sure you've, you've just seen how much, you know, how much faster things move, how much more data there is. Um, so, you know, we, we can't, you know, more than being operationally excellent at something, I think what, what most correlates with success is, is rapid learning and, and adapt, adapting. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we're, we're in this mindset now. I think this experience over the last 18 months has only accelerated of just the need to just constantly learn, constantly uh, adapt. Uh, the idea of pivoting, uh, being ready, ready for the unexpected. I mean, they're all things we probably thought about before, but it just seems like it's just accentuated going through this collective experience the last 18 months. So Troy, thanks again for coming on the podcast and sharing your experience, sharing some of the exciting and continuing innovation that's happening within the automotive space. You're welcome. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure to be here and, and to talk with you. And a reminder to all of you to please make sure to continue to give us the gift of feedback. I appreciate your, your positive support. You can do that easily out to all of the main streaming services, including Apple and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.